Well, good evening, everyone. We're very excited to get to be with you this evening. Very glad that you've opened your doors for us to come and present. And even for me to preach tonight, we're very glad, very excited to be on deputation, like I've even said this morning. That my buzzword is excited. I say it too many times at every single church we go to. We're just excited to be on deputation, going to the field, and everything the Lord's been doing for us. Well, really what makes deputation great, it's a long trail. A lot of missionaries know it. It's a very long trail in many ways. Sometimes it'll be years and years on the road, and my goodness, it can be exhausting. But what really makes it great is all the different people that we get to meet at all the churches. We love hearing from you all as much as I'm sure you love hearing from us as well. So please come and talk with us even after service. We'd love to get to know you all a little bit better. It makes our deputation a little bit more fun. All right, we're going to have Janae come on up. She's going to give her testimony. Um, her, her perspective is very good. Being raised on the field, it's, it's a very good testimony, very good perspective on missionary life and how the Lord brought her up. So come on up, Janae. Well, good evening. It's evening, right? Afternoon. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity uh, to give my testimony. Thank you, church. Y'all have been so loving and kind and friendly. Uh, it's a beautiful church building you have here. Some of the kids were telling me about the remodel and what color, purple and pink. No, wait purple and red that it was before. This is beautiful. It's awesome. It's awesome. But thank you again for having me and giving me an opportunity uh, to give my testimony. It's truly a pleasure to bring God glory through my life story. I'm blessed to be a third-generation missionary. My grandparents, Joan Elaine Hawkins, arrived in northern Brazil in 1957 and served for over 50 years in the country until the Lord took my grandfather home. My parents are John and Ayla Yell, as you saw in the video this morning, and they are currently serving in southern Brazil, and they have been missionaries for over 30 years. I'm thankful I was brought up in a good Christian home where we did family devotions and were always serving others. When I was seven years old, I exhaled devotional times. And parents, might I encourage you, it is so important to have that devotional time and read the Bible and study it and pray with your kids. You never know, that might be the time that the Lord uses you to lead them to the Lord. That was me. I grew up in the missionary work in southern Brazil and was taught early on how important it is to seek God's will for your life. I always knew I would be in ministry of some sort, but I really didn't care to think about my future in regards to a career. I loved being a kid, I had a great youth group at church, and I really didn't want to think about growing up and leaving my home. But one day, God chose to speak to me in a different way than I expected him to in regards to my future. I was 16, and I was homeschooled, so I would know how to read and write in English. And I was up early doing my schoolwork, and our schooling had a biblical emphasis along with the regular schooling material. And I was sitting on our blue couch reading my history book. And I was reading about the old world, which consists of everything except for the Americas, so Africa, Europe, Asia, etc. And there was this little snippet on the page that was talking about the need for the gospel in so much of the world. While I was reading it, I thought to myself, man, we, we really need more people to go. Well, I then heard that still small voice that some of us, or all of us know, that said, what about you? God and I then had a conversation, you see, and I thought, okay, God, cool. You want me to be a missionary? I'll do that. Just don't send me to really third-world countries. I don't do the dirt floor thing. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe. Don't like the spiders in the ceilings. No, no, thank you. Snakes, definitely, for sure not. But, you know, Lord, anywhere but, but, but like that, you know. That sounds great. I'll do it. 
I then felt extreme conviction as I begged God to be a missionary anywhere but places like that. But God was not going to give me peace with a partial surrender. He wanted me to be willing to go anywhere. After what seemed like a couple of hours, but was definitely no more than like 20 minutes, I finally said, okay, God, I will go anywhere you want me to go. Mud hut, dirt floors, snakes, giant spiders, Lord, I'll go. And that's what he was waiting for me to do, a total surrender. God showed me that day that all what he wanted was that total surrender and not a partial one. And I'm grateful for that lesson that I learned. It has helped me so much. And friends, the secret to total peace is full surrender to God. You don't get to keep parts of your life from him. It just doesn't work. And you will be miserable. <laughs> well, now I knew that God wanted me to be a missionary. So the next thing was obvious to me after high school, I would go to Bible college. After several recommendations from pastors here in the USA, God led me to go to Heartland Baptist Bible College in Oklahoma City. Heartland was different. America was different in so many ways from what I grew up with. It was hard to adjust, but I'm pleased to say that God used my time there at Heartland and Southwest Baptist Church to grow me and to mold me to be more Christ-like in ways I didn't even know I could change or needed to change. And I'm so thankful for all He taught me. God taught me while I was there. My husband and I were married between my junior and senior year of college, and God has blessed me with a husband who has the same urgency and drive for missions. Every missions conference, we would ask God, is that where you want us to go? And we'd visit the tables, and we'd watch the videos, and we'd pray, and we would have a burden, but not a guidance toward a specific country. But we weren't too concerned. We had a couple years before he finished Bible college. For sure, God would tell us by the time he graduated. Well, Jeremy graduated, and we still had no idea where God wanted us to be as missionaries. But the Lord opened the door for an internship, and we moved to Washington State for an internship there. And we were sure during their missions conference God would tell us what country he wanted us to go to, but he didn't. He was teaching us things, and we needed to grow. But at that time, we were a little bit frustrated, admittedly, you know, because we had known since I was called when I was 16, he was called when he was 19, that God wanted us to go somewhere, foreign field, but not where. But he just hadn't shown us where yet. After our year-long internship in Washington, we prayed and asked God's guidance again, and we this time we moved to Texas and joined with Worth Baptist Church and served where we could during COVID. That was a hard time for everyone, all of us, you know, and God still hadn't told us where he wanted us to go, but we chose to trust him and his timing. Christmas 2020 was approaching, and I had the desire to go home to Brazil to be with my parents for the season. Jeremy and I had been talking about possibly making a trip there. It had been five years since I had been home, and we could kill a few birds with one stone, right? We could go there and call it a missions trip and do like a survey trip, but, you know, just basically be with family for a time and, you know, work with them. It was a win-win. Or we could just start visiting countries until God, you know, checking off countries until God told us where he wanted us to go. <laughs> it was a win no matter which angle we looked at it. We talked to our pastor. God blessed us and our church and pastor sponsored us, and we went on our mini missions trip slash survey trip slash visit family adventure. It was so good to be home. I may or may not have cried a lot. 
And we had a lovely Christmas with my family and traveled to the state capital about two hours away to meet up with other missionaries for a Christmas party with Americans. There were no Americans in my city, so like, you know, sing Christmas songs in English and things like that. All the missionaries at the party asked us if we were coming back to help them. And one missionary said something that struck my husband's heartstrings. And I'll let him tell you that part. We drove back to my family's home a few nights later, and my husband comes up to me. We're in the house, and he says, I need to tell you something. And he turns, and he walks off into the bedroom. Ladies, don't we love it when our husbands do that to us? Okay, I said. My heart sank, and I followed him into our room. I closed the door. He looked at me seriously, and he said, I think God wants us to come back here to Brazil as missionaries. I stared at him and I smiled as thoughts flooded my mind. Oh, this is so sweet. He loves it here so much he'd want to be here. This is really nice. This would, yeah, wait a minute. One of those missionaries got to you at the party, didn't they? Are you sure this isn't just another a burden, babe? Are you sure? I asked him. Because you see, my friends, God couldn't be calling me back. I love it too much there in Brazil. We're supposed to leave all we love, forsake it all for him, suffer like he did, right? These were my thoughts. Jeremy then said, I think this is more than a burden, babe. Just pray with me about it. I went to bed that night thinking about how all this was going to look. My husband following me, back to my home where my mommy and daddy are. Man, I'm going to get all those looks of, hmm, okay, who's leading in this relationship? <laughs> These were the real fears, the real fears I was wrestling with. But God was working on me, see. Well, God, I prayed, you're just going to have to talk to Jeremy about all this because I just don't know how to tell if this pull towards Brazil is just a love of home or if this is you calling me there, here. I was there at the time, so here. Now, I don't remember if this was the next day or a few days later, but I was having another one of my many conversations with God about how there was no way this could be so good. How could he be giving me my heart's desire of going back to my home country? And then I just asked him, God, how can I be a missionary at my own home? And you know what he said? tell other people that they need to be missionaries at their homes. And that was the moment that I knew that God wanted me back there in southern Brazil. So this is my, so we're going to my Jerusalem, but it's definitely his utter, uttermost parts of the earth. <laughs> I knew at that moment that that's where God, sorry, I lost my spot. <laughs> you see, when you're right with God and following his will, Many times, our desires will line up with his, and the desires of your heart will be the desires of his heart. And if I can be a missionary at my home, y'all can be a missionary here, too, in Houston. We came back to the USA in February of 2021 and began preparing for deputation, and we had a lovely time over the past 10, 11, 11. months. And uh, we are excited and looking forward to all God has in store for us with the goal of going home to Brazil in January. Thank you.
Amen. I love hearing her testimony every time I get to hear it, and I hear it every time. I still love hearing it. Well, while she was raised there in southern Brazil, I was actually raised up in Seattle, Washington. I was grateful that I was saved when I was seven years old. Very grateful for that kind of a testimony. Now, interesting fact, though, I mentioned it this morning. I was actually raised in a non-denominational church, non-denominational family. The church I went to was a little bit more Pentecostal-leaning in their, in their theology. But um, I went to a good Christian school, went to that church. And I remember when I was 16, um, I remember being confronted with the fact by a preacher that I was being a mediocre Christian. That I'd gotten saved at a young age, praise the Lord, but I really hadn't done too much more with my life for God. Never really given myself fully over to the Lord for him to do with me what he wanted me to do. And I got confronted with that, and I, I remember taking time with the Lord and letting him know I recognized I was being very mediocre, very, very flat with my Christianity. So I was done being a mediocre Christian, that I'd do whatever the Lord wanted me to do. From there, the Lord started working on my heart and, and, and changing my perspective on things, giving me some, some questions in my heart about some of the things I was believing, some of the things my church was teaching, even started removing some friends from my life that weren't the right influences on me. A couple years later, with all these questions going on in my mind, I meet the first Baptist family I'd ever met in my life. My wife's family, they were uh, on furlough up in Washington State, and Janae wound up at my school, and we got to talking a good amount. Well, when I say talking, I mean arguing a good amount. Because I had all these theological ideas, and she was like, wait a second, the Bible doesn't say that. And I was like, well, th this makes sense, though. And uh, we had a lot of serious arguments about some really key things for basically the entire time we were there in high school. We became good friends somehow, but we just kept on arguing. And we kept that good friendship. She went back to Brazil after we graduated. I went off to a college in Tennessee, and we kept up over Skype. Well, we argued even more over Skype, just keeping that somehow going, like the Lord wouldn't let her give up on me or something like that. And while we were arguing about some core theology, I remember the Holy Spirit stopping me in my tracks saying, hold on a second, is, is your, your own logic better than God's word? And that actually got me reading my Bible, and through reading my Bible, I became a Baptist. I mentioned it this morning, God's word messed up my theology. And I got plugged into a good Baptist church there in Tennessee, and my relationship with the Lord came really, really close. Now, I was a freshman in college at the time. I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So I asked God that crazy question I think everyone should ask at some point in their life, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And from there, he put missions on my heart, and he would not take it off. And I started seeing the world around me in a different way and the people around me, the, the serious need for people to tell everybody the gospel around the world. And it dominated my life. It dominated my thoughts, the way I, everything. I just could not get this thought of missions off my heart. So I took time praying about it, seeking the Lord about it, even spent some time fasting about it. And after about a week of seeking God about this, whether this was him calling me to be a missionary, I remember surrendering and saying, Lord, I will be a missionary wherever you want me to go. Let me tell you, in that moment came this peace, this joy, this excitement, this certainty that I had never known before. And I knew God was calling me to be a missionary. Well, from there, I'm a Baptist. A month later, I'm called to missions. Let's go. What's next? Let's see what's coming up next. Talked with my pastor there in Tennessee, and he strongly recommended Bible College. Strongly recommended Heartland Baptist Bible College. Well, you can see the Lord kind of working some things out here where my wife's going to Bible College in Heartland, and I'm going to Heartland, and how amazingly the Lord had worked things together. She mentioned we got married between junior and senior year, went to Washington State for that internship down here to Texas, the great state of Texas. Amen. Hallelujah. Got me out of Washington. <laughs> I've liked Houston, though. The, the weather's been a little bit better than, than North Texas, even. I mean, it's been a bit more familiar with the rain and such like that. It's been wonderful having rain again. We, we were up in Oklahoma for our last three months, four months of deputation, and we went the whole time with like a day of rain. 
oh, it was dry, it was hot, it was miserable. I'm so glad that it's been raining like nonstop since we got here. <laughs> it's been great. And then we took our trip down to, to Brazil and she told you a bit about that, but she told you I'd tell you this part. We went and visited those missionaries down in the, in the state capital and all of them were asking us the same question. Knew we were called to be missionaries but didn't know where exactly we needed to go. Asked us all the same question. Are you coming to work with us? And I told them the best answer I could. I don't know if we're coming to work here in Brazil. I, I don't know if it's the Lord's clear calling. I, I, I want to make sure I'm following the Lord's will because that's the best place you can be. Isn't that right? The best place you can possibly be is in the Lord's will. But one of the missionaries was talking with me and he said, so why wouldn't you come back to Brazil? And I said, well, I want to make sure I'm following the Lord's will. I want to make sure I'm going through the right open door. And he said, so do you see open doors to come to Brazil? And I said, yeah, I see a lot of open doors, actually. Since we had gotten there in Caxias do Sul, there, really the Lord had been opening up my eyes to the serious need there of the Yale family being the only family working there. Long, slow work needs more laborers. I've got a free Portuguese teacher. That's an open door of sorts, isn't it? I, I see a lot of open doors to come here to Brazil. I just don't know if I'm supposed to go through it. Then he looked at me seriously and said, so how many open doors would it take for you to come back to Brazil? And that got me praying a little bit differently about going there to Brazil and actually seeking the Lord, asking God, are you calling us to come back to Brazil? After about a week of praying about it, the Lord put the clearest thought in my mind of us there working in southern Brazil. And with it came that same peace, that same joy, that same certainty and excitement that I knew when God called me in the first place. And it was like that shepherd's voice calling me all over again. And I knew that we were called to go back to southern Brazil. And I was so excited about it. Finally knowing where the Lord was calling us to go after such a long amount of time not knowing exactly where. You know, in, in chess, there's that night piece that goes in a weird L shape. And sometimes if you know chess at all, it kind of seems like it's going in a random pattern location. You can't really tell what's going on. But then all of a sudden after it's been all over the place, Suddenly it's in this really powerful position and it's clear what the knight is doing. In many ways it's kind of felt like that. Like we went to Bible college, we went to Washington, we went to Texas, we went to Brazil. And then all of a sudden, I need you here. And it was like, whoa. And that wouldn't have happened if I didn't follow the Lord. If I didn't follow the Lord's calling the Lord's will for my life. I have no idea where I would have been 10 years ago. If I didn't surrender my life to the Lord. If I didn't read the Bible. It's amazing what the Lord has done with my life, and the Lord's call really amazes me. It's really a big passion for me, because following the call of the Lord is one of the most important things we can do. And God's calling people to service every single day. He calls everyone to some sort of service. He's always calling for us to be faithful servants, isn't he? But God also does have a very specific call for you. He has very specific calls for everyone. There's so many places in the world where God needs servants. We need servants, God, to call people to be teachers. You know, the next generation, it's very important to teach the next generation the right things and, and teach them good things, godly things. We see our schools going in poor directions. Perhaps we need more called teachers to go and turn things back around. We, people are called to be doctors. I know I'm not called to be a doctor because I think about a needle and I knees, my knees start shaking. It doesn't work for me, but that is a serious call to be a doctor. And what a ministry that can be around the world. It's even a call to be politicians. Oh, don't go there. It is a serious call to be a politician, especially in the world today. We need good, godly politicians in the White House. There are so many places. There's an infinite number of things that God could call you to do. So many things. But, you know, it seems that knowing the call of God or, or understanding or being certain about the will of God for your life specifically is one of the more confusing things that we deal with in the world today, isn't it? 
knowing what that is, sifting through the, the many voices of this world, understanding or knowing the call of God can be rather confusing. I don't know any Christian that wants to be outside of God's will, and I know everyone wants to know what God wants for them to do, but it's confusing sometimes. Best place we can go when we're confused is a God's word. So this evening, this afternoon, I'd like for us to go to 1 Samuel chapter number 3. And this evening we're going to be studying the call of Samuel. The call of Samuel. God had a specific call for Samuel that he was working on him, leading him, guiding Samuel. And as we study this passage this afternoon, this evening, I'd like for us to note three key things about the call of God. Three key things about the call of God. And that's the title for tonight's lesson. Three, th three key things about the call of God. Before we read the chapter, I'd like to do a brief overview of the first two chapters of 1 Samuel, because they are very important to what we're going to be studying, and they're, they're needed to understand what's going on here. Samuel had been dedicated to the Lord in chapter 1 to, to serve the Lord fully by his mother, by his parents. His mother Hannah was barren and, and desperately desired a child, begged God on her knees and in weeping and tears, begged God, Lord, if you, I, I want a child. And if you will give me a man-child, I will return him to serve you fully. And God heard her and, and opened up her womb and gave her Samuel. And in return, she took Samuel to the temple and left him to serve the Lord with his whole life. And he served in the temple, it says, with the linen, linen ephod, that's the garments of a priest, served there diligently. And it says that Samuel grew in favor with God and man, and he grew in wisdom and stature. While Samuel was growing... Unfortunately, the priesthood was rapidly declining. He served under Eli, who would have been the priest at that time, but he was growing old. So his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, took over as the priests and were serving in his stead. But they're described, Hophni and Phinehas are described as sons of Belial, literally translated worthless sons. They were absolutely worthless as priests. They were doing horrible things in the temple. What they were doing, the priests were supposed to be given a certain portion of the meat, but they weren't content with the portion. It wasn't, it wasn't the filet mignon. It wasn't the best part of the meat, was it? So what they would do, whenever the sacrifice was being laid out or put in the pot or whatever the, the sacrifice was supposed to be, they would have a servant come along with a trident. He'd take that trident, skewer it into the pot, into the sacrifice, and whatever came up on that trident became the priest portion. That was nowhere in the law of God. They were quite literally robbing from the offerings of God. Horrible thing. Not only that, it also says they were committing wicked sexual immorality with the women of the temple. Terrible things happening in God's very house that evidently Eli didn't know about or was ignorant to. He, it, he didn't know for a very long time. Well, when Eli finally finds out what his sons are doing, he confronts them and says, Guys, you shouldn't be doing this. You're the priest. You should know better. You, you should stop doing this. Come on, guys. Do better, okay? And God was not pleased with that kind of a lame response. This was a serious thing that needed to be dealt with very seriously. And Eli really dealt with it very flippantly. And God was not pleased with that. So God sends a nameless man of God. We never find out what his name actually is. Sends a man of God to Eli and tells him exactly what God is going to do to his family. He says that his family would be uprooted as priests. That no man in his family would live past the prime of their life. And it would start with Hophni and Phinehas. We need to keep that in mind because that is definitely going to play a key part in our lesson tonight. God was actively working at this time to raise up a faithful minister where he needed him. Samuel grew so that he'd be ready to rise up and take over as the new priest for, for God. 
And today we're in Samuel chapter number 3. If you'd stand with me in honor of God's word, we're going to be reading 1 Samuel chapter number 3. And we find ourselves starting here in this dark time when the priests were doing a horrible job. And God tells Eli what's going to happen to his house. We're going to start reading in verse number 1, and we'll read through the whole chapter. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he call thee, that thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore I have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. And Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, Here am I. And he said, What is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee. And more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto thee. And Samuel told him every wit and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we study God's word this evening. Lord, we're so grateful for your word and that we can learn from it every single day of our lives. I pray that our hearts would be in tune with yours and that you would speak through me what your Holy Spirit has for me to say this evening. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. In this passage, the Lord is calling to Samuel in a time when God's word was rarely being heard. It really was a very dark time when the priests weren't doing their duties as priests. And I find it interesting, it didn't just say that the voice of God wasn't being heard, but that the very word of God wasn't being heard. It made a distinction between the two, that there was no open vision and the word of the Lord was not being heard. Evidently, the ministers of God's word were doing so terrible at their job that people didn't even know what God's word said anymore. And the priests weren't following the laws, obviously, so perhaps Israel wasn't really following them either. It says that the word of God wasn't being heard and that there was no open vision anymore. The judges had all passed. The prophets were no longer speaking except for this one nameless man of God. And there was no one that was hearing the voice of the Lord anymore. It almost seemed as if God had abandoned Israel at this time. But we really know it was Israel that had abandoned God. 
But all of this happening shows the preparation of God to put Samuel into his position. There was no open vision, so God would give open vision to Samuel. The word of the Lord was scarce, so God would give his word through Samuel. When there is a hole, God is actively working to raise up a faithful and willing servant to fill that hole. And God was working to raise up Samuel to be his priest and prophet. Now let me tell you, in the world, there's a lot of holes. A lot of places where someone is needing to go. A lot of places where there's a lot of holes for ministry. And God is raising up people every day to take up his call for them. And he's working to prepare them really their entire lives. You know, you can look back at your life. You can see so many ways that God was working and guiding you before you even realized it. I can say that about myself. Even recently, I can think back and see what God was doing in some small way and be amazed. Wow, that's what God was doing the entire time. That he was preparing me to be a missionary even in that little way. And you can be going through a time of great trial, great testing, or even great joy and great blessing. If you look back, I've heard that hindsight is 2020 vision. It's perfectly clear. You can see what God has been doing and how God has been guiding you every single step of the way when you weren't even realizing it. Man, pay attention to what God is doing in your life, no matter what season or what time you're going through, because God is actively guiding you to whatever his will is for you. For Samuel, he did what he always did, which was serving in the temple. Eli was growing old, so Samuel slept nearby to make sure if his master needed anything in the night, he could faithfully get up and and help him with whatever he needed. And it says that as the uh, uh, the candle in the temple, the Lord's candle that burns by the ark, went out in the middle of the night, Samuel hears his name called out. Now, that candle was supposed to be kept lit by the priests all night. Shows again how poorly they were doing. They couldn't do something as simple as keep a candle lit. It's not that hard, but something that was in the law that they were supposed to do, they weren't doing. But Samuel hears his name called out there in the dead middle of night. And it was very clear to him that he was hearing his name. There was no way he could have mistaken it. Clearly hears the voice calling out, Samuel. But the first time God calls, it's just his name. And Samuel mistakes the voice of God for the voice of Eli. Really in many ways because he didn't know God the way that he should have at that time. That voice rings out in the night. He knew it must be his master Eli because who else could it be? So he gets up in faithful attendance to his master Eli and says, here am I. Goes to Eli's side and sees he's probably still asleep. So goes, shakes him awake and says, Eli, you called to me. And Eli, dazed, sleepy, woken up from his deep REM cycle, wakes up, looks at Samuel, gives that response I think every parent would give in this situation. I didn't call out to you. You can go back to sleep. It's okay. So Samuel would have been a bit confused, goes back to bed. It was like, okay, Maybe I was dreaming, maybe I I was in a daze, I I don't know, I'll just go lay back down. But not but a moment later, he hears his name called out a second time. And he was certain this time, this must be Eli. This is the second time, this is so clear, I can't get it out of my head. I heard it, I know I heard it. Gets up, says, here am I, runs to Eli's side again. He's back asleep, shakes him awake, says, Eli, you called to me. And Eli once again wakes up, looks at him, says, I didn't call to you, go and lay back down. Now, Samuel would have been really, really perplexed at this time. It's like, I, I know I heard my name called out. Why would Eli pull this strange prank on me? I, I know I heard my name called two different times. That can't be a mistake. can't be a coincidence. Two different times I heard my name called. What is going on here? If you think about it, why wouldn't Samuel understand what was happening here? Why, why did he not understand? He was serving in the temple, wasn't he? He, he sh- clearly should have understood what was going on here. 
But verse 7 of this chapter actually intrigued me quite a bit when I was studying this. Verse 7 says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. How could Samuel be serving in the temple and not know the Lord? Eli had evidently instructed Samuel in the priesthood, but he had failed to teach Samuel the most important thing, the God he was supposed to be serving. And so often I fear that people get caught up in their ministry and in service that they forget completely the God that they're supposed to be serving. Samuel served in the temple probably because that's all he ever knew. It's, it's literally what he was left by his mother to do was serve in the temple. But that most important lesson was never taught to Samuel, the God he was serving. Whether he just did it out of Jewish culture because the teachings of, of Eli, didn't, we don't entirely know. But serving in the temple was all that Samuel knew. The word of the Lord was so scarce that Samuel did not know the God he was serving. And let me tell you, serving God without God makes no sense. It makes no sense to serve God without having God, without knowing God. It's a total oxymoron. Being a Christian without Christ is an oxymoron. Without Christ in your Christianity, a Christian without Christ is just an Ian. I hope no one here is named Ian tonight. It doesn't make any sense. If you're a Christian and you don't know Christ personally, it doesn't work. There's no such thing as a Christian who does not know Christ. And I'm grateful for my testimony of being saved when I was seven years old. But I know of so many young people who claim to be a Christian because my parents were a Christian or because I said a prayer when I was younger or so many times where it's a Christian by name, a mediocre Christian who never does much more with that and just goes away, fizzles out. It does not work to be a Christian without Christ. And if you've been a Christian by name only without having a personal relationship with the Lord, get right with God. Because it is impossible for you to continue to be a Christian if Christ is nowhere in your life. And like I said, I'm grateful for my testimony of being saved when I was seven years old. But for those who've been saved for a long time and know you've been saved, is it not true that sometimes our Christianity can feel a little bit stale? After a long amount of time where you loved God so much because he first loved you, you called out to his name, got saved, asked him to be your savior. But after doing this Christian thing, for a long time, becomes a routine, becomes commonplace. You just do it to do it. I know that's how I've been many times in my life too. I really feel in some ways I've been in both places, a Christian without Christ and a servant who's gone stale. And, and, and neither one of them is right and neither one of them work. You've got to have a dynamic and full relationship no matter how short you've been saved, how long you've been saved, or if you've ever been saved. This does not work if you do not know the Lord. If you find your relationship with Christ has gone stale, my friend, get it back. Do whatever it takes. Take time with the Lord. Get rid of the TV. You can do it. If it's distracting you and taking you away from the Lord or your phone or whatever it may be, get right with the Lord by any means necessary. It should be that important. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. If you don't see God like you see water when you're in this Texas heat and your air conditioner goes out, we've been there. 
man, be thirsty for God's word. Be thirsty for that relationship with Christ. It's the only way that Christianity will continue to be sweet, continue to be vigorous, continue to have abundant life, even in this life now. Get that relationship with Christ and know the Lord deeply and personally. I believe perhaps this is why the temple was going in such a wrong direction, because the priest didn't care if God was involved or not. They were the priests. They were, they were serving the Lord. Right? They, they were serving. They were, they were the ones in charge. They were in charge of everything going on here. The people answered to them before God. They didn't care if God was involved or not. Because if God was involved, then it was no longer about the priests. It became about God. It'd go past them. They wouldn't get the same meats they got. They wouldn't get the, the good stuff and all the benefits that come to the priests, right? If God was involved, if it was all for his glory. They forgot their place as servants of God, and they thought of themselves as the masters of the temple. May God have mercy on people who serve in ministry without God. Without God in your ministry, what is the purpose? Really, without God, there is no purpose to your ministry but selfish and vain glory. If God isn't involved, you're putting way too much effort into a task that you cannot do on your own. The Bible says that it is by the Spirit of God that enables us to understand the things of God. If you're trying to do this Christian thing on your own, let me tell you this, you cannot do it. Not that you, you might not be able to do it, or you, you cannot do it. In our own flesh, we cannot understand the things of God. But with God in us, with the Holy Spirit in us, we are able to do abundantly more than we ever could. May we never forget the most important part of our ministry, God. But Eli had failed to teach Samuel that most important thing. And really, God has given each one of us that divine task to pass on the knowledge of God to every single generation, lest God become extinct in our culture. That's why the call of God is important to me, because I want to make sure everyone knows how to respond to God. When, when the next generation doesn't know how God calls people, what it's like when God is calling people, and they, we don't teach them how to respond to God, in many ways it's our fault too that they don't know, that they don't know how to respond. We ought to teach our children how to respond to the voice of God and follow it wherever it may lead. But Samuel evidently, evidently didn't realize that God was speaking to him. But the voice of God was so unmistakable to Samuel that he couldn't help but hear it. And he goes back and lays down, and for a third time, he hears his name called out in the darkness. And we've come up to our first key thing about the call of God. The first key thing about the call of God in our story is that when God calls you, he will never let you be once he has called you. When God calls you, he will never let you be once he has called you. He called Samuel three times before Samuel even knew how to respond. When God calls someone, he does not let them be. You heard it in my testimony. When God called me, he would not get that thought of missions off of my heart, change my perspective of everything until I answered him and said, Lord, I will go where you want me to go. And it came with that peace, joy, and certainty. It was amazing. God would not let me go until I answered him. And he will not let you go if he is calling you. Whatever he's calling you to do will not leave your mind, will not leave your thoughts, will not leave your heart until you answer and you answer him yes. He won't leave you alone if you answer him no, by the way doesn't work. You know, you heard in my wife's testimony that when she argued with God about her call, that it felt like two hours, but it was really probably like 20 minutes. You know, I think God does something with time when we argue with him, and he just puts it on halt, on halt, pauses it. And how long it feels like when we argue with God, and it's just like a matter of minutes. 
Can you imagine the people who are running from God for years and years and years? How long, how exhausting that must be. It's never too late to turn around and tell God yes, no matter what time in your life. It is never, ever too late, friends. If you find yourself running from God's call, it's not going to work either. Turn around and say yes to God. He won't leave you alone unless it, and even if you say no, you want proof of that? Go read the story of Jonah sometime. Don't make God get a whale involved for you to say yes. He'll do that. But God won't leave you alone, and he would not leave Samuel alone either. So Samuel goes back to Eli, and now finally Eli realizes what is going on here. He realizes perhaps this is God calling the child. So he tells Samuel, go lay back down, and if you hear your name called out again, I want you to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Such a simple response that God wanted, wasn't it? Didn't have to be anything super complicated, super spiritual, anything like that. He just needed permission to speak and to know that Samuel was listening. That was all that God was needing. And Samuel answers the call of the Lord, and the Lord immediately speaks to him. Samuel goes and lays back down as he had, and God calls out his name twice. And Samuel turns and says, speak, for thy servant heareth. What a wonderful moment that was when Samuel finally answers the call of the Lord. But I find it interesting, he didn't say exactly what Eli had told him to say. He says, speak, for thy servant heareth. Eli told him to say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. Samuel still didn't quite know the Lord the way that he was supposed to. But it was enough for God to speak to him anyway. And you know, in reality, God will call you whether you feel like you're ready or not. No matter your shortcomings or your lack of knowledge or lack of understanding, if God needs you and God's ready to use you, God's going to call you. And really, with that in mind, we ought to live our lives every single day as if God could call us at any minute. We ought to live ready for God to call us to whatever that may be. I want to illustrate it like this really quickly, and I love having this much stage. I'll explain. Let's say right here is the moment that, God that, that you got saved. The very beginning, the very first step of your Christian life, you get saved. Okay? Now let's go over here. And let's say this is the moment that God calls you, whatever that may be. I've already mentioned before, a teacher, a doctor, a politician, to the mission field, church planner, wherever that may be. Let's say this is the moment that God calls you. Now let's go back to this end of the platform. And I get saved, the very first step in my Christian journey. And I just stay right here. Don't do that much for the Lord. Barely read my Bible. Pray when I need the Lord. Not much else. Not a, not a good relationship with the Lord, really. But then the Lord calls me and says, Jeremy, I want you to be a missionary. Well, what's that going to look like getting all the way over there from here? A lot of catching up. A lot of fast work that's got to happen all of a sudden, right? Now let's look at it this way. And I get saved. And I'm reading my Bible. And I have a dynamic relationship with the Lord, and I pray with him multiple times a day and have that close, growing relationship with the Lord. And I go to church multiple times a week, and I'm learning from the Bible. And let's say I go out soul winning, and I'm telling everyone I can about Jesus, and I'm seeing people growing around me, and I'm growing in fellowship with believers and growing in my relationship with the Lord every single day. And now let's say from right here, God calls me and says, Jeremy, I want you to be a missionary. Well, what's that going to look like from here? Isn't that so much easier? Man, can you imagine the workforce on the mission field if every single Christian, every single believer lived their lives ready for God to call them in a single moment? 
If we were all ready for God to call us to wherever in the world that would be, it'd be so much less work, so much less effort, so much less regret if we lived ready for God to call us in a moment. And like I've already said, I was over there for a long time. You can be certain, though, that if you find yourself at a point where you're not as grown as you should be, that God will equip you, God will prepare you, God will take care of you, because he equips those who he calls. But man, imagine that workforce if everyone was ready. If all of us were actively growing in our relationship with the Lord, when God calls us, we were ready to go. What an amazing workforce that would be. But in spite of our shortcomings, God will call you when he wants you, when he's ready for you. You know, Moses pulled out every excuse in the book as to why God shouldn't call him, and God still called him and used him anyway. God will call you even if you don't feel like you're ready, and you may not be ready. But don't silence the Lord, but always be open to whatever it is the Lord is calling you to do and serve him diligently. When Samuel calls out to God and tells him to speak, God tells Samuel the very things that he had actually already told Eli through the nameless man of God. He said those things the nameless man of God said that God will surely do and nothing's going to stop that. He doesn't tell Samuel all that much more. Which brings us to the second thing about the call of God, the second key thing about the call of God in our passage. God's call will never contradict God's word. God's call will never contradict God's word. The call of God will never contradict anything God's already said. Far too much of Christianity today is led by feelings. I feel like this. I feel like that. I feel like the Lord's calling me. When it's something that's so contrary to God's word that it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense when I feel like when God's word says, thou shalt or thou shalt. I just made that word up. Thou shalt not, or thou shalt. If it's contradicting God's word, my friend, that is not of God. Because God does not contradict himself. God cannot contradict himself. If you find that something God said seems a little twisted, doesn't seem quite right, that's something you got to pay attention to. Because you know whose favorite tactic it is to twist God's word? Satan. You know, that's his favorite tactic. You know he used that at the very beginning, that God ascended this whole sin mess in the first place? You know, Satan tried to use twisting God's word as a tactic against Jesus. You know what Jesus used to contradict that tactic? Proper scripture. You know, it's so important to be a diligent student of God's word. So when something comes up that doesn't sound quite right, you can pin it and say, that is not of God. And you can know that if, if, if it's God calling you or not, if it contradicts scripture, stay away from it and don't do it. Only follow what God tells you to do, and what God's word has revealed is right or wrong. Always go by that. That is always to be your measuring stick. But God calls Samuel to this, gives him the message. He's the prophet, so he's supposed to say the message, isn't he? But really, Samuel was scared at this point. It wasn't good news telling Eli that these things would never be, be fixed. It's something that's going to happen. God said it will, so it will. It wasn't good news, so... Samuel really was troubled about it, said he stayed up the rest of the night until he opened up the doors of the temple in the morning. But God was going to more or less force, Eli, force Samuel to say what God had told him to say. Eli goes up to him and says, Samuel, and he says, yes. And, and Eli tells, looks at Samuel and says, tell me everything that God told you last night and leave nothing out, lest God do so to the end. More also, if you leave anything out. Wouldn't have gone so well for Samuel, would it have? His family uprooted, cut off, primary, wouldn't have worked out. So Samuel ends up telling Eli everything, all the bad grim news, terrified, probably shaking in his boots there from whatever he was saying to Eli. 
But Eli's heart was ready to hear it because he'd already heard it. Samuel didn't exactly know that. But Eli's heart was ready to hear it. And he makes a very humble statement. Eli says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. Man, if I had heard that kind of news, I might have been angry. I might have thrown something. It, many people probably would just get furious and curse God and shake their fist at God. But Eli was ready to receive it because God had already been working on his heart. And you know, God is working on people's hearts all around the world to hear the gospel, to get saved. And our job is not to fear what people are going to think or to question God or the message he's given us to give, but to boldly give the message no matter what people might think. Amen. We have no idea whose hearts God has been working on. And God might have worked on you and brought you to this exact position to tell someone the gospel at the moment they needed to hear it, when they would get saved. And if you stop and think of how many of those opportunities you may have missed, that's a hard thought. I know I can think of a few. When you knew God was telling you to give the gospel to someone and you didn't, whether because you were afraid or, or didn't feel like it, that, that may be an opportunity lost or a soul lost. They may never have that opportunity again. When God had put you in just the perfect position to see a wonderful work in that person, never be afraid of what God is calling you to do because God was preparing hearts before he even called you. And God tends to, to put his servants who answer his call into positions where they're forced to do what they said they would do. When God calls you, do what he says, or he's going to make you do what he says. But I believe that God had told Eli first as well so that Samuel could have something to measure it by and know that this was God. Because Samuel said the same thing that the nameless man of God said in the first place. Now there were two things that they could be measured by. And they would know this surely is the Lord. And this call of God is surely a call of God. You can know God's calling because it will always line up with God's revealed word. And at the end of this passage, the third thing, the third key thing about the call of God is that God's call will be obvious to all men. God's call will be obvious to all men. It says that all men from Israel, even from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was called to be a prophet. That's like saying everyone from Oklahoma City down to Houston, every single person between there knew that this one guy in this one town was called to be a prophet of the Lord. Wow, what a testimony. When God's call is on somebody, it is an obvious thing that people around can clearly see. And clearly they saw something in Samuel that was vastly different from the priest, didn't they? And I would ask you here, does Houston know about this church? Do the people of Houston know that you're a Christian? Is it something that's obvious? It should be something that's obvious because that's a light that should never be under a bushel, no. God's call is something that is obvious. God's light is something that is obvious. And I've heard the story so many times of, of missionaries who did not know God was calling them, says a mentor or a teacher came up to them and said, hey, I see this in you. Perhaps God might be calling you to ministry someday. Just for that student or that guy at the time saying, no, I, I don't think so. I don't know if that's what I want to do. Goes farther down the road in his life and God calls him to be a missionary. And that teacher comes back to their mind, goes to them and says, hey, guess what? God called me to be a missionary. And that teacher is like, yeah, I know. I knew a long time ago. God's call is something that's really obvious. And if you find your mentors, your peers, your teachers telling you that God's got a light on you, pay attention to that. Because that could also be a leading on God's call that 
maybe you're not seeing in yourself, but others are seeing around you. Be paying attention to those times because God's call is an obvious thing. And let me tell you, from there on where God spoke to Samuel again and again and spoke through Samuel again and again. And let me tell you something. Now Samuel knew the Lord in a way that he never knew God before. You want that deep dynamic relationship with the Lord back. Do what God says and answer his call and follow his will. It is an amazing relationship that happens with God when you surrender fully to him. The call of Samuel really is a unique story. We don't really hear of this kind of thing happening again. And your question tonight might be, what exactly does the call of God sound like? And I can honestly tell you, I don't exactly know. Because God calls in such a wide variety of ways. I was called by this deep burden on my heart that wouldn't go away. My wife was called through a history book. Never heard of that before. God doesn't speak through a, a clear voice in the night anymore. I've never heard of anyone else being called out of a burning bush. There's so many different ways that God could be calling you. You could be reading your Bible and a passage just sticks out to you so clearly like it never had before and would not leave you alone. It could be that gut tugging of the Holy Spirit that just won't leave you alone. You have to follow it. There are so many ways God could call you. I can't tell you exactly how he's going to call you. But I'll tell you that these three principles will apply every single time. God will not leave you alone about it. It will always line up with God's revealed word and it will be obvious to all men. If you don't know God's specific will for your life, let me close with this. God is always calling for faithful volunteers. He's always calling for faithful volunteers. You know, when God called Isaiah, Isaiah saw an open vision of the Lord on his heavenly throne and the hosts around him. God did not look at Isaiah and say, Isaiah, you go for us. No, no, no. God says, who will go for us? And Isaiah, who just so happened to be there, says, here am I, send me. Isaiah was a volunteer. Would you be willing to serve the Lord wherever he may call you tonight? If he is calling you, answer him and answer him yes. But I'll tell you this, he is always calling for you to be a faithful servant. Would you bow your heads with me for prayer? Lord, Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for your word and for your will. We're so grateful, Lord, that you don't leave us to figure this life out on our own. You don't leave us to figure things out, figure out what you want for us, but that you make it abundantly clear to us when you call us. May each and every one of us here have a heart open to whatever you're calling us to do and a life ready to serve you in whatever capacity that may be. If there's someone here who's called in the mission field, make that abundantly clear tonight that they would surrender. If there's someone running from the Lord, may they turn around and answer you yes after years of saying no. May everyone here have a heart to volunteer wherever there is a hole, wherever there is a need. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.